You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. As you can tell, uh, our stage has changed a little bit from week number one of our uh, Advent series. If we can take a look at this, it was slightly, oh, I was wearing the same shirt. Good call. Um, and uh, good, good. And so it was a little more difficult that day. I had some responses like, man, it was kind of difficult to follow things. I couldn't see the screens as well, and your jokes weren't very funny like normal. No. Um, But it was a different day, and it was designed intentionally to be that way, that what is getting in the way? What is getting in the way as you seek this uh, newborn uh, king? And so we got a chance to remove some of those gifts, and then last week it changed a little bit more. Um, Oh, good. I wasn't wearing the same shirt. That's good. Um, I own more than more than one shirt, so... Um, and the gifts were kind of getting out of the way, and we, we, we talked uh, a little bit more about last week. What does this mean to, to have a lowborn king, this shepherd king? And is this the kind of king that we needed? Do we need the, the kings that were given to them before that send your, your daughters and children in front of the kingdom to, to run and maybe not be protected? Or do we have a king that provides some things? And we started to build this little gift tree up here. Uh-oh, the music kind of got this one going. Um, joy fell over. It was so joyful. Um, but how we started seeing these gifts that God provides and is bringing to the table from forgiveness and hope and peace to restoration, joy, and compassion. And obviously this week it's even more trimmed down. We're seeing things a little more clearly, like there might even be something up here called a manger. And so as we're starting to see things a little bit more clearly and we're Going over this Christmas story, I know we're like, oh, we're in Matthew chapter 2 again. I know, I've been reading it every week, and I keep learning new stuff that I've got to come talk to you about. Um, but as you think about this, what is your season looking like? What is the anticipation? This is the big week. You're getting things ready. You're preparing for the king, and you're preparing for people. We've got family coming in town on Wednesday. We've got family coming in town on Friday. We're so excited. We're getting the house squared away. I cleaned out the garage. We're going to put the ping pong table up in the garage. We're doing all kinds of fun stuff. I've got a little golf mat thing we can do. Like We're thinking of things to do with our family as we're getting together to celebrate the anticipation of this lowborn king. So let's join me in the text. Uh, We're going to dive into Matthew 2, chapter 7 uh, through 12. Let's take a look at this. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He was interested. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for this child. As soon as you find him, report it to me so that I may too go and worship him. He's an interesting way of worshiping people, doesn't he? Next. Okay. After they had heard uh, the king, uh, they went on their way, and the star uh, they had seen had, uh, when it rose, they went ahead of it until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. You remember our emojis? They were like more overjoyed is more than just kind of excited. They were football excited. They were Montana Grizzly victory excited. Where's Joe? Got you, Joe. My Montana Grizz friend. Uh, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they uh, bowed down and worshiped him. They opened up their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. 
It's interesting to see the reactions of the people with this king. You know, Herod's reaction to his replacement is to oppose him. His reaction to his replacement is to go and murder all of the two-year-olds around the Bethlehem area, two-year-old male boys, and get rid of that. And what a time of mourning, what a time of terror if you're a mom and a dad that lived in that time. And this evil king goes through and murders your son. And so Herod's response is to oppose. And I wonder, as you think about it in your life, where have you ever been in opposition to King Jesus? Where have you indirectly or directly opposed his kingdom? And how would you identify what that is? And how would you sweep that away? Where would you go to receive that forgiveness and that peace and all of the things that you need to not be in opposition to the kingdom of God? And then you have the priest. You have these folks. Well, Herod didn't know the text, and they asked these these folks, well, where is this child supposed to be born? Well, it's supposed to be born in Bethlehem because they knew the text. So the religious folks of the day, the people who knew the text, who were engaged in that, who were waiting for this Savior as well and had read about it and knew the text about it, what did they do? Yeah. They dismissed him. Does it say that all of these high priests went with the Magi and ran and were looking for this king? All of us, all of the religious people, did we go looking for the king? Did, they, did, we, did we miss him? You know, we are anticipating the return of the king. Would you know who he was? We all think we would, don't we? We're like, well, yeah, obviously I wouldn't miss him. But these folks dismissed this moment, and they missed something. They knew the text, but they did not know apparently whom it was written about. And they didn't take it seriously for whatever reason, and they missed one of the greatest moments in all of history. What could we miss? What could get in our way that would make us miss celebrating the greatest moment in all of history. And then you have the Magi, these foreigners from the east who travel 800 to 1,000 miles across the desert following a star. Sounds pretty smart. To see if they could find this king who would be born. They didn't even know where he would be born. It's just there. And they followed that star. And when they got to Israel, they went to where they thought maybe the king would be. They went to the palace. They went to where the the throne room would be and where you would think that the king of kings, this long, long anticipated king would be. And guess what? They met Herod. See, the king wasn't born there. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a stable, in a manger. He's not a giant. He's not a superhero. He was an infant or a toddler. But when they saw this, what is the first thing that the Magi did when they saw him? They bowed down and they worshipped him. 
And if story or tradition would be correct that he was in a manger, guess what would be on the floor of a manger? Poo-poo. And these guys are probably pretty well-dressed, and they didn't care. They get down, and they worship this king in the poo-poo. Then they opened up, it says they opened their treasures. And so we've heard lots of discussion about these treasures, treasures they brought. They bring gold. Now remember, it's probably not like, and here's your speck of gold. Like they're coming from a long ways away. They're very wealthy. And if you look at like maybe some of the gold that uh, the Queen of Sheba brought to Solomon, you're like, if it was like a tenth of that, that would be a lot. But they bring this gold, and what does gold insinuate? Gold is fit for the gift of a king. And then they bring this frankincense, this, this, uh, this incense basically that is used and comes, comes out of a, a tree, and they use that, and it's for deities. So not only do they call him king, they bring this incense, which they're calling him God. They call him a king and they call him God. And then the last one is weird. They bring myrrh. And myrrh at this time is used for the embalming of bodies. It's for taking care of things that have been sacrificed. And so at the same time they're calling him king and they're calling him God, they're also seeing him as a sacrifice that's going to happen. And so those gifts mean something, but they opened their treasures. And I started thinking more about this this week in our sermon club. Uh, we have some really smart people in there, and they're bringing up different ideas in there, and this was one that they got me on, is this opened up their treasures. And I think that it's important not just to point out that, you know, we always get in like, well, what's the metric tons? How much did they bring? You know, and going through all these things, like, really the gifts are cool, and they, they symbolize different things, but it, They opened up their treasures. They got the very best of them that they could have and gave it to this king. That's the gifts that they brought. And maybe the gold was something that was really special and important in their life. What's the most valuable gold item that you have? And how would you feel about bringing that gift and giving it away to the king. Maybe it's something that means a lot to you. Maybe the frankincense was from a really important place in their country. And so they were bringing their best. They opened their treasures. Maybe the myrrh had been used in their family for burial for years and years and years and years, and it was really important and has some tight, close family lineage. I don't know this to be fact, but They opened up their treasures, the things that were most near and dear to them. And so I want you to think about what are your treasures? What are your earthly treasures? What are the things that you have in a safe at your house? What are the things that in your mind are irreplaceable? And can you imagine bringing those and trekking those things 800 to 1,000 miles to lay him out the feet of this king that you hope you find. I 
What are our treasures? What do we lock up? What is so valuable that it's only for special occasions? How many of you are breaking out the fine china this next week? The best you have for your family. So your kids will know, like, oh, well, this is, something's different. Something's different this week. I haven't seen this stuff forever. What about the silverware that was handed down from generations to generations to generations, and you're opening that up, and you're bringing that out, and you're like, this is great, 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 great grandma's silverware. Why are we doing this? What's so special about this? Well, today's super special, you guys. Today is the day that we're celebrating the birth of this lowborn king. You know, Jesus, they talk about treasures. In Matthew 6, 21, says this part about treasures in heaven. They opened up their treasures, what we read about the Magi. And here's what they talk about treasures in heaven. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Uh-oh. I'm in violation. <laughs> I'm storing up some treasures. Where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Ah, I see. I see the treasures that are valuable to this king. How many people think that King Jesus, that God needs gold, that he, like, he just can't make it without it? Like he kind of created it, and we have a lot of it in the earth, right? That it's pretty hard to get if you watch Gold Rush and those other things. And like, it's a lot of work. We got an ounce an hour with seven tractors and this giant machine. And how many people think that God needs frankincense? Like he needs that. Like he's incomplete without it. How many people think that God needs myrrh? Think about all the things that we think we need that we're not really incomplete without them, are we? So how do we open ourselves up to God? What, what kind of gift are you going to bring to the king this year? And I wonder if there's any treasures that we're keeping to ourselves. God, you can have this part of me, but this part, yeah. I'm going to hold on to this one. I really like my pride. I like to pet it. It's so pretty. It's my precious. There's another story that reminds me about somebody pouring out everything that they have and that they own. And we're going to look at this from two different uh, accounts of it. Um, but here's the story. There's uh, Jesus is uh, in the house of Simon the leper, who is also apparently uh, uh, a Pharisee. And he is reclining at this home. So here's what it says, Mark 14, 3-9. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured it, the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and given to the poor. Yes, and they rebuked her harshly. How dare you? Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? 
She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, whatever, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So it's an interesting account. So in today's wages, that's like a forty-five dollars to $55,000 bottle of something. What do you have that you're going to bring to Jesus that's like forty-five to fifty-five grand, and you're going to just pour it all out where there's, there's no value to it when it's done? Because that's what she did. But it's interesting, really, what she did as you look at it through maybe Luke's eyes, who dives into a little bit more detail about this gift that she offers. I don't have this in your uh, notes, but I'm going to go ahead and read it for you guys. So indulge. Think about it. Same story through Luke's eyes. Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, uh, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Okay, I can see that connection. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came in there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Ooh. So there's a little side note. Um, If you were like a woman of the night, you might carry this uh, alabaster jar of perfume around with you because people stank. And if they were going to have relations with someone, uh, they didn't want to be that stanky. And so that was her livelihood. This represents who she is. This represents her profession. This represents everything about her is this jar that she has. So she came there with her alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She then wiped them with her hair and she kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him uh, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. If God ever does that, if he's like, Josh, I got something to tell you, you better buckle up. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will, will love him more? Well, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt uh, forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said, Do you, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You do not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I have entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You do not put any oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So what's the nugget in here? What's the gift? 
See, the gift that she gave was all that she had. But the gift that came back to her was forgiveness of her sins. She walked away changed. She was dramatically different. Can you imagine if you lay your treasures at the feet of Jesus and you accept what he has for you, what your life can be like? She turned away from the life that she was in and towards the life that he would have for you. It's almost like what you're bringing to the table, what you're offering to Jesus is really for you. It's really for you to get something out of the way that you thought was really important that was in your way. So you could be free and you can experience the king the way he has designed you to be free. What is your response going to be to the king? What are you willing to bring to King Jesus this year? Whatever it is, it should be our best. I want to read you a quote from Pope Francis, another sermon club, Jim. says, it is not enough to know where Jesus was born, as the scribes did, if we don't go there. Yep, Jesus is this church thing. And Jesus is connecting and relating and loving people. I know that. But if you don't go there, you're not following him. It's not enough to know that Jesus was born like Herod did if we don't encounter him. When his place becomes our place, when his time becomes our time, when his person becomes our life, then the prophecies come to fulfillment in us. Then Jesus is born within us. He becomes the living God for me. Today we ask, we're asked to imitate the Magi, not, they don't go there to debate. They sit out and go. They don't stop and look, but they enter the house of Jesus. They do not put themselves at the center, but they bow down before the one who is the center. What is your gift this season? What do you want your life to look like? What's hindering you? What's stopping you from being everything that God's called you to be? What would it look like for a church to become unhindered? To throw off the things that are holding you back. To see God, the way, see people the way that God sees people. What would it look like for this kingdom to explode in a mighty good way and people be introduced to forgiveness and hope and joy and restoration and peace and compassion? What's your treasure? You know you have a treasure. You know that the king has gifted you. And maybe it's the gift that we have like Dennis and Connie who build a manger for us and take care of a bunch of things all around our church. Or maybe you have a gift of finances and resources and writing big checks is not a big deal to you because God has richly blessed you. But what is your treasure? What would you bring to the manger? How are you uh, going to bless God with your gold this year, your wealth? How are you going to give God the best worship that you possibly can? 
And what are you going to sacrifice to draw near him as he sacrificed for us? You know the gift of what he really wants? The gift that the king really, 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 really wants? He wants your heart. There's no material thing you could ever give the king that's going to change the way that he views you. He wants to know you intimately. He wants to talk to you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to feel the Holy Spirit in your life guiding you and directing you. This is all you could ever bring to the king. It's just you. All of you. Even the ugly parts. He's a good polisher of the ugly parts of my life. And I have a feeling he would do the same for you. So as you think about this season, that's not a season, it's a lifestyle. What part of this are you holding back? What part of your heart are you holding back? Father God, just put it in people's minds right now. I don't know. I don't know what people are holding back from you. I don't know what's hindering them from being released. I don't know what distractions and gifts are still in the way that need to be cleared out of the way in our lives. But he can come right now and he can put it into your mind and your heart right now. Because we want to be a church that's unhindered. We want to be a people that's unhindered that doesn't have stuff in our way. They can see you clearly. They can hear you clearly. They can come to you with the gifts, which is really just our servant's heart. A promise to seek you, a promise to, to, to reach out to you, a promise to get to know you better. So, Father God, I ask for your Holy Spirit to fall upon this room, upon every heart, every mind in here, Lord, that you would reveal to them if there's something that they're holding back. And between the two of you guys, you, that you would, you, would, you would meet. And they would freely give that to you. That it comes with a recommitment of their heart. That we're not just looking back and celebrating something that you did a long time ago, but we're also looking forward to your purpose and your plan and what you want to have happen here, Lord. And how we can be a part of it. That we are a gifted people because we have a gifted God who has been very generous to us, Lord been generous to us with these beautiful voices that sing and worship. It's been generous to us with, with, with art. It's been generous to us with landscape. You are an amazing God. Help us to learn more about you. Help us to become unhindered and to bring everything to the table, Lord. We don't want to be held back, Father God. You held nothing back. Thank you for being here, Lord. Amen. We're going to take a chance to go to communion today.
And today I just want us to step back and just reflect and just have a reflective time. If you need communion, Ron will be more than happy to get you some. Uh, Raise your hand. But when you come to the table every week, what do you come to? What do you bring to the table? For me, I, I bring some of my sins. I lay it at his feet. Lord, show me, Father, how I have hurt people this week. Show me how I can, I can be a, a better representative for you this week, Lord. When I come to the table, I start thinking about the people who don't know you. I start praying for the lost. And sometimes the lost are like these Pharisees who just dismissed and didn't recognize and didn't go to you. Sometimes the lost are right here in our own midst among us. And sometimes the lost are people who are running from you. who haven't been introduced to you. But their life is a mess. So Lord, I ask you to just bring those names to our minds right now. We all know somebody who is lost, who doesn't know you. Lord, I ask this season that the gift that they would get, Lord, is an introduction to you. You would reveal yourself to them in a mighty way, Father. You would help them. And sometimes we can't get there because of the hurts that we have in our lives, Lord. And sometimes this is a very difficult time for people. Christmases haven't been great for them. Sometimes they've been lonely. And Lord, I ask you would just come and fill up the void, that you would heal the sick and the brokenhearted. You would heal those that are missing loved ones. You would heal those that... This is sometimes a time where people are mourning... And Father God, we come to you boldly. We come to the throne room. We, we bow down. We worship you. Lord, we are people that want to be your people. We want to give you our treasures. We want to make sure that you have our heart and that we can hear and listen and obey. Make that the the cry of this season, that we could hear you, Lord. The Lord Jesus, on uh, the night he was uh, betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we remember you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Lord, we proclaim your greatness. Father God, we thank you again. We thank you for this time. Take us on a journey this week as we anticipate your arrival. Let us search our hearts and make sure we give give it all to you and hold nothing back. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.